A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Denham Street in Soho W1, 30 yards south of the unfortunate Mr. Johnson, 50 yards west of the suicide of Mabel Hill and Herbert Turner, 20 yards north of the last hangout of the Blackout Ripper, and 10 yards east of the fingers which didn't lie. Coming soon, to Murder Mile. Denham Street is a grubby little slit in the city, made famous as this is what's behind the Piccadilly Lights. As a one-way street stretching 121 metres from Sherwood Street to Shaftesbury Avenue, even though it's smack bang in the beating heart of the West End, nobody goes here as it's grim, grimy and dead. It's the kind of dark, vapid hellhole where the sun can't be asked to shine, where life can't be bothered to exist, where litter whistles down, only to go, oh bugger, and hope it's blown elsewhere, and where steamy dog turds cling to the bum lips and dangle for a few seconds longer for fear of being dumped. Under construction, the south side is being ripped out, and turned into, yes, you've guessed it, luxury flats. But back in the 1910s, among a sea of bars, clubs and small casinos, at 21 Denham Street once stood Coventry Chambers, a three-storey mansion block comprising of 15 self-service flats for wealthy bachelors and their living staff. In flat eight lived Julian Hall, a 26-year-old aviator, sportsman, and chronic alcoholic. Being depressed and drinking himself to death, the life of this wealthy bachelor was in chaos as two women vied for his love. On Tuesday the 15th of April 1913, having promised to marry both of these women, Julian would be found dead in his bed just hours before his marriage. But which of his lovers would kill him, and why? Was it out of anger, love, jealousy, or as part of a premeditated revenge? My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, 
and this is Murder Mile. Episode 186 Dead Rich. For those who thrive on chaos, Russian roulette is the ultimate game of chance. With six chambers of a revolver, loaded with a single bullet, and the barrel randomly spun, each click of the trigger takes you one step closer to fame, glory, money, and excitement. But one chance in every six will always lead to death. To many, it may seem stupid, but unable to cope with the boredom of an unexciting life. For some with a death wish, is the only way to live. Julian Bernard Hall, known to his pals as Jack, was born in 1887 in Oswestry, in the county of Shropshire. As a young boy, born to a wealthy merchant and a woman of means, Jack had come from money. He didn't know poverty, he didn't know hunger, and he didn't know the struggle of never knowing where his next penny would come from, as the family fortune would always ensure he was never without. His life was his to live, as he wanted when he wanted, and how he wanted. But when you're given everything you ever desire, where do you find your excitement? In 1896, age nine, Jack was booted off the boarding school, where for 10 months of the year until the age of 15, he would live amongst 900 other boys whose parents had handsomely paid to have their love-starved children educated by strangers. Never to be loved, never to be hugged, never to be praised, and riddled with trauma and abandonment. As was the done thing, his future had already been mapped out for him by his parents. Boarding school was at the Eastman's Royal Naval Academy in Portsmouth, a preparatory school in Southsea that prepared boys for careers in the Royal Navy. With an impressive list of alumni, including captains, admirals and field marshals, with a curriculum of sports like boating, gym and tennis, lessons in Greek, Latin and English, and instructions in knot tying, shooting and navigation, this gave him no excuse not to exceed. Upon his graduation, both Jack and his brother Bernard quickly became officers in the British Navy. And although keen marksmen with a love of guns, Jack sought out the precarious danger of innovation. In 1903, Wilbur and Orville Wright performed the world's first powered flight. Mankind had broken the barrier of our bodies and our limitations of nature. By December 1911, 
as the precursor to the Royal Air Force. The Royal Naval Flying School was formed and later absorbed into the Royal Flying Corps. With the principles of aviation engineering still in its infancy, to fly a squadron of manned kites, hydrogen-filled airships and early biplanes like the BE-2 and the Arvo 500. They needed fearless men who scoffed at danger, spat out fear and dismissed their deaths knowing that each day may be their last. As a thrill-seeker with an innate disregard for his own life, Jack was a born aviator. But when he wasn't flying, to pacify the dullness of his ordinary life, he would seek out his thrills elsewhere with drink and girls. Jack was the epitome of a playboy, tall, rich and handsome. Sporting the latest fashions, an aviator's moustache and a swashbuckler's swagger. Wherever Jack went, he was always seen with a six-shot revolver on his hip, a big slug of whiskey in his fist and a beautiful girl on his arm. By day, he slept off his hangover. As by night, he lived for the thrill of bedding babes, building back booze, and as a man with a fortune of eight and a half thousand pounds, making him a millionaire more than two times over today. He would blow more money per night at the casino than most people earned in a year. To maximize his downtime, Jack moved into a bachelor pad at 21 Denham Street in Soho, barely 50 feet behind the infamous Piccadilly lights, but also in the shadow of some of the best West End bars. Living on the second floor, Flat 8 was a classic man cave with all of the mod cons, but none of the homely touches of a man with marriage on his mind. With a booze cabinet and a collection of guns, to facilitate his often delicate state, he had two live-in staff, Louis Royal his valet and Nelly Champion his cook. There was no denying that Jack was a consummate playboy who lived for the thrills of life without any of the worry. But having had very little affection as a child, he always sought out the love of a good woman. Only he didn't know any good women. In January 1910, Jack met and fell in love with a music hall artiste called Ada Knight. And whereas some described her as a singer, others suggested that she was a prostitute. Not a low-rent streetwalker who picked up strangers for six minutes of the old in out, but a high-end flirt with no plan to work a day in her life and every aim to get a rich man to fall for her charms, to move into his home and get him to marry her and keep her in the lifestyle she'd become accustomed. It's hard to pin down exactly who she was, 
as Ada Knight went under the alias of Margaret Roberts, Lally Roberts, and using Jack's surname as if she was already married to him, as Lally Hall. After more than two years of romance, being smitten, Jack bought her a diamond engagement ring. He promised her every day that he would marry her, and to cement his undying love for Ada, on the 17th of August 1912, Jack had his will redrafted and the bulk of his estate to her. Sent to his solicitor, it was dated, signed, witnessed and stamped meaning that if this aviator ever died, she would be rich. With her love etched in stone and her prosperity assured, Ada went away on a well-earned holiday. Only without her distraction, Jack's biggest enemy was boredom. When Jack flew his biplane, he was alive. But when he was grounded, he was as good as dead. Gripped with bouts of depression, his valet, Lewis Royal, would state that Jack was often emotional and prone to anger. He always sated his anxiety by downing one and a half bottles of brandy a day, and with a set of loaded revolvers stashed beside his bed in his travelling trunk, Suicide was never far from his mind. In July 1912, just weeks before their engagement, Jack had broken his right hand and was unable to fly. With Ada away for four whole weeks, he did as he always did and sought out some affection. His latest love would go by the name of Jeannie Baxter. She would bring him life, but also death. Like Ada, Jeannie Baxter had a dream of becoming a kept woman of a wealthy husband. Never one to lift her hand if she could help it. It's likely that Jeannie came from nothing and never wanted to go back. Born in 1889, somewhere in Ireland, 24-year-old Jane O'Kane often went by several names to disguise her past. Jeannie was a nickname. O'Kane was reserved for legal documents. And having been briefly married to a man of money, she went by his surname of Baxter and the respectable title of Mrs. This respectability was vital to gloss over the fact that Jeannie was a prostitute. As a single mother to her seven-year-old daughter, also called Jane, Jeannie was keen to continue their life of luxury and comfort by finding another man of means to marry. Bouncing from man to man and bed to bed, with a ring finger itching to be blessed with a diamond and a band of gold, it wasn't the dashy aviator Jack Hall who had won her heart, but the mysteriously titled Mr. Unwin. A slew of men aside, Jeannie was the kept woman of Mr. Unwin, 
knowing little of who he was. We know he was independently wealthy, and that for the last two years, he had paid her a generous allowance of £5 a week, as well as covering her rent on an upmarket flat at 24 Carlton Mansions in Maida Vale. Besotted, Mr. Unwin had professed his undying love to Jeannie. And although to him she was his wife-to-be, and to her he was a meal ticket, their marriage was on hold, as for long as she still had a breath in her body. His mother would not allow this wealthy merchant and this easy sex worker to wed. His mother was old and frail, but for Jeannie, her sad demise couldn't come quick enough. Therefore, it was entirely by random chance, with Ada on holiday and Mr. Unwin at his mother's, that possibly in the drunken half-light of the Coventry Club on Denham Street, the genie met Jack. In September 1912, Ada Knight returned from a holiday, only to find Jeannie in her fiancé's arms, flat and bed. Jack didn't see what all the fuss was about. He was a bachelor, Jeannie was single, and yes, he was engaged to Ada, but it wasn't like they were married. As Jeannie moved in, Ada moved out. And although both women lived their own lives in their own homes, when Ada confronted Jeannie to chastise her for stealing the man she planned to marry, Jeannie admitted, To be honest, my dear, I'm not that interested in Jack. I've got Unwin. Whether it was down to his arrogant wealth or his confused alcoholic state, this seedy little love triangle continued for several months, with Jack stringing both women along. As a depressed drunk, Jack wanted the best of both worlds, with both women on his arm and in his bed, at his beck and call. On the 4th of December 1912, handwritten in his drunken scrawl on a crumpled piece of typing paper, Jack rewrote his will, stating, This is the last will and testament of Julian B. Hall. I revoke all of the wills I may have made. I bequeath all that I possess in my estate to Jean Baxter O'Kane and to Ada Knight to be equally divided. The will was signed and dated by Jack, and it was witnessed by two signatories. In the event of his death, both Ada and Jeannie would become exceedingly wealthy. That's how it should have been. And although Jack was still stringing Ada and Jeannie along, what he couldn't accept was that Jeannie didn't want him. She wanted Mr. Unwin. On Tuesday the 8th of April 1913, one week before his death, things would come to a head. 
in the four months since writing his last will, Jack had continued seeing both women and keeping them apart. At 1.30pm, Ada Knight was let into 21 Denham Street by the hall porter, who knew her name and face, but didn't know that Jack was two-timing her and that Jeannie Baxter had spent the night in his bed. Inside his bedroom, as he lay there nursing a roaring hangover, his two lovers fought over him. What are you doing here? I could say the same about you. He said he'd finished with you. He said the same about you. You're finished. I have every right to him, but I was with him first. Oh, really? With the only obvious winner being Jack, unwilling to be a booby prize, the women gave him an ultimatum. Which one of us is it to be? You can't have us both. Like the spin of a barrel of a half-spent gun, Jack had a 50-50 chance of getting his answer right and getting his answer wrong. And having chosen Jeannie, his new squeeze of a few months as the woman he loved, over Ada, his fiancée for the last three years, Ada smacked Jack in the mouth, cutting his lip with her engagement ring, and she swore that she never wanted to see him ever again. The second the door slammed shut, it was clear that Jeannie had won. But had she? Across the afternoon to the early evening, Jack and Jeannie argued bitterly. Jack had given up Ada for Jeannie, only Gina didn't want Jack as she had unwin. A man who had made her a kept woman, and whose mother's decline meant that the two would soon be wed. Jack was rich, but he wasn't that rich. With Jeannie unwilling to give up her other millionaire, Jack struck this two-timing harlot across the chin with a loaded revolver, and rightly, Jeannie left. Left alone, and drinking himself into an angry alcoholic stupor, the man who lived for danger and chaos was left with nothing but his own black thoughts. Before she left, it was said he had put the muzzle of the gun to his temple and professed, I'm sick of everything. I am not afraid of death. Death had never been more than a hair's breadth away from Jack. And now, it was even closer than he would know. Through the hazy gauze of drink and solitude, his bitterness festered until he could stand it no more. Later that same evening, Jack took a taxi from Denham Street to Carlton Mansions in Maida Vale and in the parlour of Jeannie's flat, which was owned by Mr. Unwin, Jack met his rival for the first time. Jack was drunk, very drunk, as from his pockets he pulled two revolvers. Whistling down the barrel, he assured the startled couple 
I'm not here to kill myself. As in the spirit of a fearless aviator with a daily death wish, his plan was much more reckless. As he stated, You love this girl, so do I. I'm going to have her. As Jeannie had done to him, Jack would make her choose. Two men, two guns. We light a cigarette. We turn out the lights. And by the red glow of its tip, we shoot until the other man is dead. What do you say? Jack was serious. Mr. Unwin was terrified. And having said no, Jack fired wildly, hitting a photograph, a champagne bottle, and splintering the sitting room door, having fired over his shoulder. Jack popped the gun's muzzle in his mouth, and according to Jeannie, he asked her to pull the trigger. Jeannie was a woman who loved to live, so she didn't. And as his booze-sozzled brain began to feel like a sack of lead, Jack apologized and curled up on the hearthrug, where he slept until the morning. Jeannie would never have to choose between her two lovers. As in fear for his life, Mr. Unwin wanted nothing more to do with Jack, and therefore with Jeannie. This kept woman with a lifestyle to live and a daughter to fund had lost everything. Her allowance, her flat, her country home, and a marriage to a man who today would be worth more than six million pounds. With Mr. Unwin gone, and Ada forgotten. All Jack and Jeannie had was each other. But did they? On Sunday the 13th of April 1913, two days before his death, Jeannie informed her maid, Teresa, of the good news. Jack has promised to marry me by special license next Tuesday. In her own words, having made a mess of everything with Mr. Unwin, Jack would make amends by marrying Jeannie and making this woman of modest means a millionaire's wife. On her mind should have been love, only with a glint of glee at already being in his will, albeit equally split with Ada. Jeannie was heard to declare if he was to have an accident, a fatal accident, I would get a very large sum of money. In short, the second Jack died, Jeannie would be dead rich. Tuesday the 15th of April 1913 was to be the day of the marriage of Jeannie Baxter and Jack Hall. Having been bedbound for days, with his stomach empty, except for his regular bottle and a half of brandy, Jack lay crumpled and slumped in his pyjamas, as depressed as ever. 
At 9am, Jack rang the service bell and asked Louis Royal, his valet, to make breakfast for Jeannie. Having had a fitful night, both were silent, but not angry, just tired. At 10.30am, again Jack rang the bell. But instead of an empty breakfast tray to clear away, on the bedside table, Lewis found a fountain pen and a folded piece of paper. With big grins, Jack declared, I am going to get married to Miss Baxter. At which a beaming genie confirmed, That's right, Lou. Keen to make everything right, Jack got his two staff, Lewis's valet and Nellie Champion, his cook, to witness a document which revoked his two previous wills and left everything to Jeannie. Across the next hour, not a single sound was heard coming from the bedroom until 11.45 a.m. Five shots, no screams. And by the end of the 10 seconds, Jack Hall was dead. Running from the room, Jeannie was heard to shout, Lou, I've shot Mr. Hall. Run and fetch a doctor. Charged with his murder, Jeannie told the police of his alcoholism, his depression, his death wish, and with his temperament swinging from manic to moody, that he had told her, you and I would never get on if we were married. It is better I should finish it. Jack pulled out a loaded revolver, popped the muzzle in his mouth, and in Jeannie's own words, he whistled down the barrel as a black mood enveloped him. Fearing for her life, she scored a note asking her maid to look after her daughter in the event of her death. And in the struggle to wrench the gun from his hand, she shot him twice and fired three more bullets as she fled in terror. On the 3rd of June 1913, at the Old Bailey, Jane Baxter, known as Jeannie, pleaded not guilty to the charge of murdering Juliet Bernard Hall, also known as Jack. And as she did so, she smiled to her friends in the court. Confident of her acquittal, the newspaper stated that Jeannie left heartily from the dock. And yet having deliberated for just 55 minutes, she was soon stunned into silence as having been found guilty of his manslaughter. A terrified genie was led away to the cells to spend three years behind bars. Released from prison on the 14th of June 1916, Jeannie Baxter, the sole beneficiary of Jack Hall's fortune, received a rude awakening. Debated at probate court, Sir Samuel Evans would state, as they were unmarried, as her conviction for his death had deprived her of her rights, and as the last two wills were illegal as they hadn't been submitted to a lawyer, that the rightful heir to Jack's fortune should be his former fiancée, Ada Knight, a woman who was to become dead rich.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The world of 911 emergency dispatching is brutally diverse. One minute you can be talking with someone about parking violations. Uh, what's the process we are to take to have people towed? Because it's actually delaying the mail. And then all hell can break loose. Then the rest of the day is crazy. We could have murders. Hill County 911, what's your emergency? I just killed my children. Home invasions. He's in my house. He's in my house. I shot him. You shot him? He was coming up towards me and I shot him. Natural disasters. Tornado came through the bottom. I'm going to be a bunch of all my life. Even bombings. My show, Music City 911, will put you in the dispatcher's chair, put you ear to ear with the callers and responders, and keep you on edge from start to finish. I hope to both educate and entertain as I'm a 911 dispatcher with over 20 years experience. And just like dispatching, every episode is different from the last. Music City 911. Real 911 calls. Real 911 dispatchers. Available to listen to on any podcast app. Does it, doesn't it? Yeah. Good. Whoa! Oh, cripes, a lordy. Lorks, lorks, a lordy up on high, ladies and gentlemen. How are we all? I'm going to take your little hat off. Here we go. There we go. Just taking your little hat off. Move away the little pop filter. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to, I was about to say X-Files then. What is going on in my head? It's because I had a conversation with uh, someone the other day about X-Files. Now I've got X-Files in my head. This is not X-Files. This is uh, Extra Mile, uh, the unedited, unscripted bit. See, if it was if it was edited, I would have edited out the, that bit, the bit where I fucked up and said, this is X-Files, because I'm clearly not Mulder or Scully. I would have edited out when I said Scunny as well. Uh, or smoking. See, I can't. I'm all over the place today. What is going on in the world, Michael? Cripes. 
Uh, so this is it. Uh, extra mile, unedited, unscripted, bloody, 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 blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to make myself a, co- a quaffy, a quaffy, only because I'm still drinking a quaffy. But I am having. Oh, yeah. What is that? What is that? That, my friends, is a Cadbury's Crunchy. Oh, is it one of the best chocolates out there? I think so. Nice proper chocolate on the outside. British chocolate, which means it's the best chocolate. Now, not as we've discussed before, Hershey bar chocolate, which is dog shit. But inside is a nice honeycomb, honeycomb crisp in the centre. God, it's good. Although, when it gets into your teeth, you can kind of feel your dentist crying in his sleep. Uh, so, what's going on? Let's, as always, we do a little bit of a waffle. I, I'm, I'm going to thank my patron subscribers and donators now, if that's okay. So, new patron subscribers, thank you very much. And I thank you for your delay. Uh, not your delay, my delay. Because I had to delay because I was doing busy last week. I was ahead of schedule, therefore you're not going to get this until the date that I emailed you about. But thank you to Yasmin Nixon, Sarah Thompson, Andrea Lindenberg, and Hu Yin Nu... Oh, Michael, you had that. You've been practicing all week. Uh, Hu Yin Nu... Nguyen. Hu Yin Nguyen. Right. Now, <laughs> I, I saw your name and I was like, right, I'm going to get this bloody right. So I went online... Uh, and typed in how to pronounce this and then i realized that when you type in your name online especially the surname there's 10 different versions of of people who have the same name but they pronounce it differently there's one video where there's uh, uh, it's spelt n-g-u-y-e-n now the majority of people say it's nguyen so it should be uh hu yin nguyen i hope i got that right but there was so many versions online where people pronounced it differently and i was like oh my god how am i meant to get it right if even the people who use it as their name don't get it right but then i remembered that my surname part of my surname is buchanan and some people pronounce that three different ways so it's so i tried i apologize i tried my best there so um thank you to patreon subscribers new yin win Yasmin Nixon, I got that one right. Sarah Thompson, I got that one right. Andrea Lindenberg, I got that one right. Thank you, everyone, for becoming patron subscribers. Lots of goodies. Um, lots of people on their social media tend to share uh, photos and stuff like that. I don't share them on social media. They are for patrons only. Uh, we've got a massive back catalogue of everything up until episode 50 and onwards, I think. So there's lots of goodies in there. So it's definitely worth having a... a for two pounds a month bargain what else can i talk to you about we're going to go into some stuff in a bit and some uh, quiz questions um just come back from visiting my uh, dad and my stepmom that was lovely i haven't seen them in ages that was really nice to go and see them uh they're going to go and live overseas so it'll be uh so th- by the time next time i see them they will be in a different country weird situation going back to my old family home and uh, saying goodbye to that. That was a really weird situation. Um, anyway, that was done. I enjoyed that. Um, did CrimeCon. That was good. Do you know what? Meeting up with lots and lots. Thank you to roughly probably the 10 people <laughs> who we met at CrimeCon. <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't, to be honest, in Podcast Row, there wasn't really that much going on. It was quite quiet. <laughs> to, to be honest, uh, it got to the point where the bulk of the podcast were actually lying on the floor, having a giggle. Uh... Uh, having a couple of hangover pints and then we were playing uh, who can throw the beer at the furthest because nothing was going on uh, but to the 10 people we did meet that was lovely um 
Best bit was hanging out with all the other podcasters and getting massively pissed. Uh, I travelled up with Paul from True Crime Enthusiast on the Friday. We drove all the way up to Glad. Well, he drove. I just sat and waffled. And then we turned up at the hotel. We went, right, pint. And we drank from 2 o'clock in the p.m. until about 4 or 5 in the a.m. And then turned it Oh, really, the next morning was great because all, all of my stuff for CrimeCon was in the back of Paul's car to keep it safe because I was staying in Cheapy Hotel. He He's staying in an expensive hotel. Um, all his stuff was there and I couldn't get access to it. He wasn't answering his phone. He wasn't waking up. He was late. Uh, so after about an hour and a half, literally the show was about to start. I'd got nothing set up because I was waiting for him. Uh, I finally found out what room he was in. I went upstairs. I started banging on his door and I heard a uh, 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 like that. And I called him at the same time and he picked up the phone before he opened the door. I went, Paul, Paul, the show's about to start. We need all the stuff. So I could hear him grab his car keys and he opened up his hotel room door and he was stumbling naked. And in one hand, he was holding the car keys towards me. In the other hand, under his ear, he was uh, holding the phone. Uh, and with his leg, he was trying to keep the door shut because he was stuck. <laughs> and he was, he was talking to me. And then halfway through, I had to say to him, Paul, you don't need to talk to me on the phone. I'm talking in front. He was that pissed. He didn't realise that he was still talking to me and yet looking me in the eye. It's very weird. I was looking him in the eye as well. Uh, but it was good fun. Lovely to meet everyone who was there. Twisted Britain. Uh, Paul from True Crime Enthusiast. Adam from UK True Crime was there. Uh, Lady Justice was there. Twisted Britain was there. Morbidology was there. Uh, who else was there? C Cult Vault was there. What's Up Doc was there. The Troubles were there. Uh, lovely to see uh, 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 True Crime... Sc no, uh, Scotland Murders. Lovely to meet them, finally. Uh, uh, Sally and John from uh, True Crime Investigators. Uh, uh, Crimepedia were there. It was. Uh, I've probably missed people out, but there was a really nice group, and we had a good time. And then we got really pissed. We, as we started to hang over, uh, get rid of our hangovers, we got started getting drinking again, and then we finished, started boozing at three again, and finished boozing about five a.m. <sighs> My health is not good that day because I survived on pizza and and four a.m. kebabs. And as everyone who knows who saw me there, surviving on uh, a mixture of Diet Coke, painkillers and baby bell cheeses. Anyway, it's good fun. Good fun. Uh, so uh, next year, uh, I'm planning something exciting. I will announce it at some point. I'm currently in the process of assembling some uh, some very exciting podcasters. We are going to do something really exciting. And the idea is uh, that it will be something incredibly affordable for everyone, because I think I think sometimes people get charged things that they shouldn't. If if you've been to our live show, we only charge £12. Um, the new one has uh, transaction fees on top, which is really annoying. This new thing, I want to do this at a budget price and make it... Uh, I'm not going to give away too much, but it's going to be amazing. Anyway, you will know more about it when we get around to that. Um, let's do uh, a, a big thank you to two people who've donated to the podcast. They've done this through the uh, supporter link, which I think is in the show notes. I think ACAS put that there. Or if you click on links, you can go to support this show. And that also goes to... Uh, you can send it via the Modemar website, which is great. So thank you to Anne-Marie Cummings for your very kind donation. And, taps nose, to an anonymous listener from America. Now that that limits it down to uh, just over 300, 300 million people? Yeah, that's right, isn't it? So it's one of 300 million. So I have kept your details anonymous. Well done. 
going to go and dive into some quiz questions now. Oh, cool. I'm still looking at it crunchy. It looks great. Quiz questions. I will do the answers very shortly, and then we'll dive into some extra stuff in this episode. So, question number one. What famous London landmark uh, is in front of Denham Street? Question two. Difficult one. Um, to the nearest 10 metres, I'll make it easy. I've made it easy by adding to the nearest 10 metres. How long is Denham Street in metres? <coughs> Ooh, cough. Uh, question number three. What town in Shropshire was Jack born in? Question number four. Where did Jack go to boarding school? That was almost a sentence there. Question number four. Where did Jack go to boarding school? Question number five. What club was underneath Jack's flat? Question number six. Uh, according to his valet, how much booze did Jack drink a day? I have to say, we drank much more than that in Glasgow. Jesus Christ. Rough. Uh, question seven. Ada Knight went by three other names, but what were they? Question eight. What country was Jeannie born in? Question nine. How much money did Mr... Uh, question nine. How much money was Mr Unwin worth today? And question ten. Jack was worth £2.6 million today. Oh, I've doubled up the question. That's a bit stupid. OK, so we ignore question 10. Question question 10 is basically I've written Jack was worth £2.6 million today. But how much was Mr Unwin worth? Which is question 9. Um... So, yeah, there's only nine questions. Oh, I tell you what, if you get question nine and or ten wrong, I'll give you two points because that's technically question nine and ten. There you go. There's ten questions, but one of them is worth two points or non or non points. That's not even a word. Right. Let's dive in some extra stuff to do with this. Um, uh, let's not do that. Let's not do that. I'm just I'm just going through my details. The will. The will was the interesting one. So uh, this is this is where the case gets really confusing is is the will. So um, originally the will that was uh, that bequeathed all of his estate, all of Jack's estate to Ada Knight. Um, this is where if, if you listen back to the episode, you can hear that it's all in there. I've tried not to. I've tried not to signpost it too heavily, but it's all clearly written in there. Um, he got that, got a piece of paper. He wrote down exactly what he wanted to happen. He had it signed and dated by himself. He had it signed and date, signed and dated and witnessed by two witnesses. And then he sent it to his lawyer. And the lawyer took that document and he signed and dated it and stamped it and then officially registered it. So that was the official document. But the other two documents after that, the one, uh, the one dated fourth of December nineteen twelve, leaving the estate to Ada Knight and Jeannie. Baxter that was null and void because he wrote it on a piece of paper uh, and he, he said what he wanted to do with it he got it witnessed by two signatories and dated but he didn't do anything with it um, if you're a patron subscriber I've put some of these documents in there and if you look at them it, it's shocking it's like it, it's a scrawl it's barely legible there's no legal marks it's it's not dated not date stamped it's a, it's entirely redundant so uh yeah, I think I think too often people seem to think you can write something on a paper and get someone to witness it and it's legal, but it's not. You've got to go through all the right channels in sh to ensure that it's right. 
Uh, what else is going on? Uh, let's... Uh, so, uh, yeah, the... Uh, the uh, kind of argument uh, about a week before... Uh, Julian's death. I keep calling him Julian. His name is Julian. We call him Jack. Uh, the, sh- the the argument in the flat just a week before. So Jack had obviously kept Jeannie and Ada away from each other uh, in order so he could keep kind of an affair going with both of them at the same time. Um, I don't know how he managed to do it because they they both they both seem to come to his flat quite a lot, and it's kind of difficult for kind of Jack to go to. Jeannie's because Jeannie is a prostitute and she sees different men every day so there's kind of a real balancing act there um I think what makes this story interesting is they're both cheating on each other so they're both as bad as each other and they both you know you could say that they both deserved happiness but both unhappiness as well because they're they're, they should both just grow the f up and stop out because they're treating each other as commodities which is what makes it a really tragic story uh but on this day um this was the day where the, the hall porter let uh, Ada into the flat. He knew Ada. He'd seen her face before. He didn't know that they, uh, there was kind of a love triangle going on. She was having an affair with Jack while Jack was also having an affair with Jeannie. Just to make everything complicated. Uh, that's when they argued. And um, I'm being really cautious. I'm stumbling with this slightly only because um, in some parts of my, my notes... I've written, <laughs> I've written the name. The other names are under. So sometimes I write Julian. Sometimes I write Julian meaning Jack. Sometimes I write Jane meaning Jeannie. And sometimes I write uh, instead of Ada, I write Lally, which is uh, one of her other names. Don't worry, I haven't given away the full answer to the question. Uh, so when they were there saying you need to decide which one of us it is, um, apparently, see this. There's not much evidence for this because the police did turn up originally. Originally there was. T- two points at which uh ada turned up apparently ada turned up at half 12 the police were called because they were arguing but the police decided this was a civil matter it wasn't a criminal matter no one had been attacked or anything so the police were like uh, to ada you need to leave um uh, everyone needs to calm the hell down which is why ada went back later on and the argument kicked off again um she did strike julian she punched him in the face, cut his his lip. His lip was had dried uh, blood, a bit of a cut on it when they did the autopsy on him, which I'll dive into in a bit. Um, apparently, Ada tried to throw herself out the window when uh, he um, he he admitted that he didn't love her anymore, that he, and that he wanted to uh, he wanted to be the uh, husband or boyfriend or whatever of Jeannie. Um, did he promise to marry? Uh, did Jack promise to marry Jeannie? Yes, it's likely that he did. He had a tendency of kind of professing his love to lots of different women, but he wasn't. He hadn't been married before. He'd been engaged before, but obviously never really committed to marriage. Um, so a couple of days before, Jeannie had said to her, her maid, Teresa Panatel- Pan- Panatello. I left that name out because I always stumble over it. Uh, not very good with names. Um, that. Jack Hall had promised to marry me on the next Tuesday by special license. Um, So special license means that in an emergency, you can go to the Church of England and a special license can be granted by the Archbishop of Canterbury if required. Obviously, he's a man of money, so he can kind of do that. Um, 
Uh, let's just scroll down a bit. I didn't. I put this in the episode the day before the murder, uh, Monday the fourteenth of April. Having already agreed that they were going to get married, Jeannie uh, went to visit a house in St John's Wood, a very nice part of town, and she's um, she said to her her uh, Teresa, her maid, uh, she said, uh, "Hall, as in Jack, has spoiled everything between me and my friend, uh, Mister Unwin." Uh, if he will not marry me, as he has promised, could anyone be punished very much who shot him dead? Now, that was coming from her maid. So obviously we don't really have uh, Jeannie's word for that. But apparently that's what she said. Um, that night, Jeannie went out to uh, the Palm Court, the nightclub. She was out partying. She was having fun. Um, she was told by the valet that throughout the day Jack was not too well he was bedridden he was not he, and he was still drinking he was very depressed uh, we don't quite know why whether that was just part of his mood or or something like that um the valet had asked her to turn up uh, to check on him that's why she turned up at the flat and why she was still there in the morning um let's the day pretty much is as i've mentioned in the episode so i'm not going to do too much um the final will uh which is known as exhibit three which so it's kind of underhanded in a way if you look at it it's a it's a piece of paper it's scrawled it basically is I, i've got the text down here which 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 you can read it's very basic um but what jack did was he, he spoke to lewis his valet and said i need you two to sign this he folded over the paper so he couldn't see what it was so they couldn't see what it was but he got them both to sign it um because they were they were his uh servants obviously they didn't question him about it um this document te- technically isn't legal for another reason because they were asked to witness the document but your job as a witness is not just to say this is a document and witness it you're purpose is to witness them the person themselves signing it that's what a witness does whereas they both said by the time the document came to us he'd already witnessed it so he'd already signed it so basically they all they they witnessed the fact that he had a document but they didn't witness the fact that it was him that signs it which is well it's important that's the whole point of a bloody witness um so that was done let's scroll down a bit obviously 11 45 a.m four shots happened so uh people said they heard three or four shots there was a guy called charles caswell who was in another room one of the other flats he heard the shots uh he came out um apparently there were four or five shots coming about every two or three seconds uh some said there were four some said there were fine um Jeannie ran out uh she was frightened and she, apparently she ran into mr caswell's room she knew mr caswell uh he he didn't like her that much but yeah um he's one of the people who describes her as just a common prostitute uh, at that point he said that she was hysterical and crying um so this is what makes the episode i feel kind of interesting jack has suicidal tendencies he's an alcoholic he loves having different women around him she is gearing up to marry a multi-millionaire he ruins the relationship with her uh he has asked to be before to try and kill him uh or to to help him to c- commit suicide uh, don't forget around this point he's got a broken hand as well so it makes it difficult not just for him to fly but for him to shoot his gun even though he did shoot his gun a couple of times um uh at genie's flat um so 
the question we've got to ask ourselves here is what's going on did did he try and kill himself and then threaten her did uh she did it happen as she said was she trying to get the gun off him she fired three times the shots are not particularly good one in the chest one in the arm if i can remember correctly um and then several into the wall behind him as she fled so what's going on was this a premeditated murder if it was her shots weren't particularly good even though he did eventually die um Jeannie would state uh julian hall obviously jack greeted her with a remark i'm fed up i've got a fit of the blues uh, she said that he was very changeable that day. After talking about future arrangements, he suddenly said, you and I would never get on together if we were married. I can't keep my promise. It is better I should finish it. At that moment, Julian held a revolver in his hand. She thought she was in danger and wrote a hurried note to her servant, i.e. Her, uh, her maid, telling her to protect her child. We'll read that in a second. They're really short. Julian was whistling down the barrel of the revolver. She was terrified. She tried to get the revolver away from him and then the struggle, two shots went off. She and Jack fell onto the bed. She then picked up the gun, fired four more shots into the ceiling. It was actually really the, the wall and, and as rapidly as possible and then she ran out and shouted for the valet to get the doctor um genie uh tried to return to the room before julian died charles who was the neighbor stopped her um uh first officer on the scene was pc william thornett he was on duty on shasbury avenue was called the denham street um jack was bleeding from the nose and the mouth at that point he was still alive but gasping for breath um pc stopped Jeannie baxter and she admitted i did it i shot him four times we arranged to do it she was excitable and crying uh, uh she was returned to mr caswell's room but uh, because the pc was afraid she might jump out of the window uh, the revolver was found in the room as were the papers as mentioned uh, the wills and the previous wills um let's drop down so these notes so there's two notes uh, they're only short one was in julian's handwriting this is exhibit three and it says i have already left to miss jean baxter uh genie o'kane uh my estate i have for them and for the maintenance of her daughter genie baxter it was signed and witnessed on the 14th of april which is the day before julian b hall we're not too sure why it was signed the wrong day uh, in a box below was written Lewis Royal and Nelly Champion. Uh, it's all handwritten and it's hastily scrawled. Um, exhibit six was a note from uh, Jeannie Baxter's handwriting. It was found on the dressing table and it literally says, Teresa, dear, dear, please look after Jeannie, my daughter. My darling love, as in Jack, has ruined my life. Jay Baxter. Underneath, she'd written, please ask Mr. Unwin to help you for my sake and say sorry for all that has happened, Jean uh these are all found in the room so whether this was a joint suicide thing that went wrong because they both seem to have suicide notes there we just don't know it's a really really weird one um four bullet holes were found in the north wall uh roughly in and around where the head of the bed was uh there was also one in the east wall near uh where the bell was just left of the fireplace uh in total five shots one hit jack in the arm the other hit him in the chest um, no signs of a struggle the armchair was where it had been left the table was tipped over um 
But uh, Charles uh, Caswell would later admit that it was him who'd knocked it over as he was trying to force Jeannie out of the room. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. There were cigarettes still in the ashtray and open bottle of brandy on the floor. Um, what else was there? Let's go down. Uh, there was a large amount of alcohol in his system. Um, according to Lewis, um, Jack had a really high tolerance for alcohol. But in the days leading up, even though he would drink kind of on average, uh, his average was about one and a half bottles of uh, brandy. He said that in some points he that would increase to about three and a half bottles of brandy, which is a bloody lot. Uh, Percy Edmonds of the divisional police surgeon arrived at noon and saw the body in bed half lying on his left hand side with his head turned over his left shoulder uh, blood was trickling from his mouth and nostrils uh, he had a bullet entry four and a half inches above the right nipple no powder burns uh, and an exit wound at the back suggesting it had uh, he'd been shot from a, a couple of feet away they reckon uh, another bullet in the in the right arm Two and a half inches above the flex of the elbow. Again, no powder marks. Uh, this was not fatal and it was not deep. So it, so it was the one to the chest that got him because it went through the first rib, uh, perforated the large vein uh, and the windpipe and passed through the upper part of the lower lobe of his left lung. So it took him a little while to die. Um, when they looked at him, as mentioned, there was a small cut on his lip of which uh, where he'd been hit by Ada a couple of days ago. Um, but apart from that, no other injuries at all, uh, apart from obviously a um, a fracture uh, to his hand. Cause of death was shock and hemorrhage. His stomach was empty, had no solid food and that he hadn't eaten for several days. Uh, contents of his stomach uh, was a dark brown. Uh, it smelt strongly of brandy uh, and they said it, it was a mix of stomach bile, brandy and blood. Um, Dr. Spilsby was the pathologist on this. Um, he confirmed that the two bullet wounds could not have been con inflicted by one shot. This was suggested during the trial. Um, he also... Uh, where was this? Where was this? Uh, he said that the bullets were fired from at least a foot away and probably a distance of at least three feet. Uh, Dr. Percy agreed with Spilsby's findings. Uh... Uh, Spilsbury also pointed out that Hall was right-handed and that the wound to the chest could have been inflicted if the right, if held in the right hand, uh, but it could not have been done with the left. Uh, if both wounds were self-inflicted, the arm must have been in, uh, inflicted first and then the left hand, so obviously he was shot in that arm. Um, there was a lot of talk during the trial about whether this was suicide or whether it was murder. It was determined that it was a manslaughter at the end because obviously there was no one in the no one in the room, so they couldn't really determine whether, as she had said, whether he'd asked her to try and kill him, whether there was a bit of a struggle on the bed. <coughs> it was hard to determine. Uh, and I think that was it. That's uh, went to court. Uh, she was sentenced on the 31st of July 1913 it started on the 3rd of June um, it was a bit on and off the trial she was sentenced to three years penal servitude for shooting Hall uh, she was acquitted of murder but convicted of his manslaughter uh, and I think that is it obviously there was a big uh, probate court afterwards and that is where they said um 
you oh, come on brain uh genie uh genie was not uh able to be um she was not uh the his estate was not hers even though the last will had said that because the last will was not valid um i've been through the situation before when just before mum passed away and i i, I found five wills and that was the hard thing, trying to work out which will was the right will and which will had been properly done. Because unfortunately, you can buy some of these wills online and oh, some weren't dated correctly, some weren't signed. So it, uh, it was a bit of a nightmare in the end. Bit of a nightmare. Uh, which is why you should always uh, do things right. And says me, I should go and get myself a will done. Otherwise, it all goes to Eva, and you know she'll just spend it on booze. Um, so, uh, a settlement was reached on the 14th of August, uh, 1913, which stated that £8,000 should be paid to Ada Knight within one month, and a further £8,200, uh, I think it was £8,800 actually, within three months of the present date, um, including her costs, which meant it was £16,500, which uh, is just over £2.5 million today. So even though she'd split up with um, Jack, uh, she came away from this uh, a millionaire. So uh, there we go. So she actually got what what she wanted, uh, unless she actually wanted Jack. Um, and uh, Jeannie did not. We don't know much more about that. Unfortunately, Jeannie kind of disappears off the face of the earth after that. And unfortunately, because um, Jeannie's not her name, because she used O'Kane, because she used Baxter, because she sometimes used Hall, because she sometimes used the name Jane, because her date of birth isn't exactly accurate, it's hard to pin down what happened to her after that. But that's that. So let's do some quiz questions. Don't forget there's nine, technically ten, because I f fucked up. Uh, question number one. A crunchy is the greatest chocolate ever. That's just a, the answer is yes. Uh, question number one. What famous London landmark is in front of Denham Street? That is the Piccadilly Lights, which is pretty sad at the moment because in the old days it used to have the Monaco building on it and it had all of the, the big neon lights. Over the years it's been stripped away of the neon and now it's just like an electric board. Now they've got rid of the Monaco building so pretty much you can go and visit the famous Piccadilly Lights, but they're not the Piccadilly Lights anymore. They're just a, an electric board that you can see anywhere. It's really, really effing depressing. But you know what? Some prick is going to have a nice posh flat. So there we go. Bastards. Uh, question number two. How long is Denham Street in metres? It is 121 metres. So if you're within 10 metres, I will give you that. Question number three. What town in Shropshire was Jack born in? He was born in Oswestry. Question number four, where did Jack go to boarding school? It was Eastman's Royal Naval Academy in Portsmouth. Question number five, what club was underneath Jack's flat? It was the Coventry Club. Question number six, how much booze did Jack drink a day? Uh, on average, it was one and a half bottles of brandy. Question seven, Ada Knight went by three other names. What were they? They were Margaret Roberts, Lally Roberts, and when she was using Jack's surname, Lally Hall. Question eight, what country was Jeannie born in? Uh, Ireland. And question nine and ten, because I'm a tosspot. Um, Jack was worth £2.6 million today, but how much was Mr Unwin worth? Uh, it was just over £6 million. 
$1 million. There you go, people. That was that. I hope you enjoyed that. That was this episode. Um, Next week's episode uh, is a two-parter. Uh, nice interesting two-parter looking forward to do that and then we then there's a bit of a gap we've got three weeks but don't worry i'm doing something special to keep everyone entertained so there we go thank you for listening everyone thank you for supporting the show um have yourself a good week stay safe uh difficult times ahead for everyone but you know what knuckle down do what you need to do stay safe don't worry about stuff too much just 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 try and just try and be 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 solid that we will get through this eventually have a good one folks stay safe and be good lots of love bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.